This is the second part of my conversation with Tunje. In the previous conversation, you know, it's really hard to find something that you're really passionate about. You have to give up the time that you dedicated to your family, your friends. And it's a journey that is pretty lonely, but it's also selfish because you know what? While we're hustling, while we're fighting for our company, we're living the life. You have to remember the person you were while you were fighting. And when I was fighting, man, I was happy to stay awake late at night. I was living my life. The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future podcast with your host, Doting, coming up today on Building the Future. I had not raised enough money to make AfroStream sustainable, but it was the only way to start. Mm. Because if I was waiting to raise 10 million to start, I would never start. I'm not just waiting for people to support me. Um, Yeah, I'm doing it. You know, I'm making calls. I try to make things move forward. I don't wait. So it makes me wonder, is this a profitable business? I don't know any profitable company doing streaming service. Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. You know, like authentic stories yeah and with the other projects it was not like exactly the same it was more like i was working with this big production company this big studio we had this idea of doing like a, a movie and like a series about a black family mm. uh, living in the ghetto blah 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 but the project was interesting but no tv broadcaster were interested and i was shocked because like the producer is like a big deal you know like luke besson is like a big deal so i was like wait wait a minute even when you have a big name mm-hmm. because your main characters are a black family people don't want to distribute your content mm. and so you know i was like okay i know great content creators i know uh, great actors i know people willing to pay to watch the content so the only thing I need to solve is the distribution. Interesting. Right. So you looked at and different so, pieces. So there are a few things that you've got, but the only thing that has been holding you back, or holding a lot of independent black producers back, is the distribution. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, okay, my friends, like millennials like me, where do they watch their content? On their computer. Right. Oh, that's my phone. So I was like, oh, I don't need them. <laughs> I don't need to do some lobbying and try to convince them to stream or to broadcast. Because the TV owns distribution power in the creative industry, apart from, uh, and the cinemas, right? The cinema houses and the the TV owns the distribution power. So if you are a creative person, you have to go and bow to those guys, to the big production companies that own a lot of of cinemas or the the TV company that own a lot of channels. But you now saw there's, there's the internet, there's the technology that is changing 
the power is changing exactly. so we can create our own and, and build our own industry. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, let's create something different. And that's funny because at the time, I didn't know about iRoka, uh, but I knew about uh, Spotify. I was like, let's do like the Spotify of black movies and series. Were you aware of Netflix by then? So I knew about Netflix. Netflix was not yet available in France at the time. Netflix came a year after. But I had the chance to experience Netflix while I was in the Silicon Valley. So my friend had Netflix and I was like sleeping in the living room near the TV. So I was like using a lot of Netflix while I was there. Right. But it's funny that while I was using it, I had really no idea, no interest in creating something similar. It's really when I came back in France and I saw like the problem and I saw then a solution that I started to be excited about AfroStream. So let me move a bit further. So in, in the note that you wrote one after you closed an AfroStream, you talked about the difficulty of starting it, that it was so insurmountable because a lot of things were not in your favor, both in terms of you being able to get a content or even the technology and acquiring users. And you are not the traditional or the typical classical entrepreneur that can quickly raise money in Europe, which I can identify with because I started my startup in the UK and it was a bit hard to raise money. Money. Um, so how did you then pull it off uh, without going to, into too much because a lot of things you said in your book how did you have the nerve to say okay I'm going to just do this uh, even though there are a lot of things against me and then how did you then pull it off so there's something strange with me like when I have some thing in my mind i feel like it's real so if i say i would create a movie the movie is real somewhere it's in my mind so what i just have to figure out is the way to get you guys there in this world where this thing already exists for me interesting so which means that when I had the idea of AfroStream, AfroStream was existing for me. The only thing was to then find, figure out the way to bring people to the same stage. Interesting. And so it's easier for me because, you know, for me, it's real. It's not a project. It's real. And so I don't have to be brave because for me, it's real. It's, you know, it's already here. Right. So the key word, the key thing for you is then to get people excited about it and get them to come with you. So in terms of their support, financial time and resources to get them to that place. And then you painting the story and painting a picture of that place that exists in your mind. And I put a lot of efforts to make it real. So, you know, like, I'm not just waiting for people to support me. Um, yeah, I'm doing it. You know, I, I'm making calls. I try to make th things move forward. I don't wait. And then in your in, in, your, in the story, you, you started with uh, Facebook. So you were just having a Facebook fan page where you're getting a lot of users and you're building, which is a very good thing to do, by the way, to get interest. You're building like the MVP, but the MVP is just people interested in watching this movie online. And what are the key things that you did to get that 50,000 fans on your Facebook when you had so, nothing? You had no product. Yeah. So what I did is first I tried to, to create an experience. It wasn't just having a Facebook page. It was like creating an experience that will procure joy to the people visiting the page. So I was not putting the full movies on my Facebook page. I was putting like trailers. Right. Uh, trailers of when the... movies that exist somewhere else. Yeah. And because at first I was targeting a francophone audience. Right. I wasn't even investing in the French subtitles. 
So sometimes it was like trailers of movies that we never saw, never watched. But I made sure that I was producing the subtitles, the French subtitles, so they could actually enjoy the trailer. Right. So I was like providing like joy, pleasure. So it was a good way to promote the brand. Right. Uh, in order to gain more fans, what I did is I connected with all the Facebook pages targeting the same audience and mm -hmm. just asked them to support me. Interesting. So you were doing a lot of growth hacking there. So you were you were putting content and uh, free elsewhere, but collating and, and um, aggregating them in, into your page. So people are going there as a destination to see those trailers. And you are also connecting with a lot of people that have similar content or similar audience that you want to tap into. And that enabled yeah. you to be able to then build some very good followership and good brand uh, that people thought was bigger than it was. And then you were able to then start having some partnership with production houses so and, and you know it's because the way i do my branding for my project is always premium so one thing that surprised a lot of people then is the way the design was done the artwork was done everything was very very clean and that's what i like you know so then people felt like oh the project is real it's you know it's people were like oh i'm sure it's a big company behind it isn't it it's just because it's clean and unfortunately, when you do something related to Africa or black people, people don't expect the artwork to be clean. Yeah, they so don't expect quality. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's unfortunate that they have to think that it's big just because it's clean. It was just clean. Yeah. So you were able to do that. Uh, let's fast forward to then you started AfroStream. And I want to touch on, because I don't want to go over what you've written already, but I want to touch on key things here that why you think the project didn't last as long as you wanted it. I know you mentioned a lot of things about funding, which is a primary thing, but were there other macro factors like adoption rate or affordability of the audience that you are targeting um, or competition that actually make you not to be able to raise enough money to make to make the project to go as you wanted it to go? Yeah, I don't think that competition was uh, the biggest issue for us at the time because most of our subscribers Paying subscribers were from the diaspora. So in France, Belgium, where our competitors were mostly in Africa. Just sure of our competitors were targeting the Francophone audience. So competition was not the main issue. Adoption mm -hmm. rate was an issue. People in other parts of the world were using streaming services and were already paying like hundreds of dollars for premium content. Where in Africa or the African diaspora in Europe, uh, like those people were not used to pay anything for premium content. So coming with uh, this digital offering where we had to pay was a challenge. Also, unfortunately, especially in France, like people from the African diaspora, most of them, they have low incomes. So right. one of the issues... Even, even the ones is, in diaspora, they yeah, have yeah. low income. They... Even the diaspora. Wow. Low so income, yeah. So for them, paying for print content was a luxury. A luxury. And so most of the churn, and churn is when people cancel their subscription mm. was not because they push a button to unsubscribe it's because their credit card like the transaction was were declined 50% of our churn is because when we try to take like 6 euros in their bank account it, <laughs> the transaction was declined because they don't have enough money in their bank account yeah so it's the combination of the audience we were targeting at the time the adoption rate and also the fact that it takes some time to to build a media company especially when 
your model is a subscription. And I think that I knew that I had not raised enough money to make AfroStream sustainable, but it was the only way to start. Mm. Because if I was waiting to raise 10 million to start, I would never start. Yeah. And then most people start so start that way. One of the mistakes I made Go on. is uh, not having a financial team member, someone very, very good with finance. Not that our finance were not good, but someone able to tell the right story to investors. And I think that I needed to hire someone who work in like a bank or a fund, you know, or a McKinsey or whatever. But someone speaking that language. Was that a biggest that was, had, was that one of your biggest challenge in terms of when you're communicating to investors, they couldn't see the financial I think, story? I think yes. Yeah, I think it was like one of my weakness is not the ability to speak the same language that them. So if I had to go back in time, I would try to hire or have as a co-founder someone with this profile. Well, let's talk about um, the video on demand because since I mean, you started yeah. it, it's become a big thing now in Africa. There'll be about maybe 10 of, or if not 15 of them in different parts of Africa now. What do you think, or based on what you understand now uh, in terms of adoption rate, affordability, uh, culture of people paying for premium content, what do you think is the major challenge that all the other VODs we're facing? Or let me put it this way. If you were to start this again, let's say you have money to, to start it again, what are the key roadblocks you'd be watching out for? So the cost of the data, one of the main issue is, you know, before you spend, before you spend like $15 per month, let's say no, $30 per month in your subscription service plus the data, you will have to solve a lot of other problems in your life. So it's not a priority for people to spend like 30 bucks in entertainment. So the cost of data has to decrease. It's too expensive right now. When you watch a series on a streaming service in the US and Europe, you don't think about data because you pay, you have this subscription for your data and it's unlimited. When you're in Africa, yes, think about it. Maybe downloading the episode that you're watching will cost you the same price than your subscription for the service. Mm. So the you cost know, right of now, data is huge. As I'm talking, as I'm talking, I'm in Madagascar right now, and the cost of data is prohibitive. Well, so that cost of data that is huge is a big barrier for a lot of people in Africa. Even if your VOD is cheap, like maybe one dollar or two dollar per month, it is still a big barrier for them to be able to access the content because of the cost of yeah, data. But you know it because like, even in Nigeria, for instance. Um, I know that people don't like to download apps on their phone. They prefer like the mobile web version. Uh, why? Because they're afraid that apps will use their data yeah. even when they don't use it. You know, people turn off their data uh, most of the time. Yes. Because there's this, this fear of, you know, being charged. So that's a huge, huge, huge obstacle. Mm. That's true. So what would you do differently then if you were to start a VOD Knowing that there's, I mean, cost of data will be going down over time. It's not going as fast as we want it to go down in Africa, but maybe over time it's going to go down. But would you, or is VOD a difficult and almost a non-starter business, except you have a huge amount of money to back you? So I don't think that I would try to do video, like a VOD platform again. I think I would try to invest more in content, creating content. And I think there's other platforms that are needed in Africa, especially in Nigeria, around, you know, 
making sure that we have a platform to promote the movies, a platform where you have all the information about the cast and when the movie will be released. I think there's all the type of platforms you can do where the moviegoers are the fans of actors and actors. But, but, but it has to be online as well, is it not? Because most people are online. Yeah, and yeah, then... yes, yeah, but people don't pay. So people don't pay and, and the, the business model could be like a great marketing platform for movie producers and platform and stuff. To answer your question, I would not, I think, do a video VOD platform again because I think that in order to win in that game, you need to be building at least like one or $200 million uh, within the next five to 10 years. Wow. And I think you give that analysis in your, again, I'm referring people to that medium post that you did after your close alpha stream. You give an analysis of the cost of this. So there's a huge cost of buying the content. There's a huge cost of marketing the content. There's a huge cost of actually hosting the content and maintaining it. And then there's the huge cost of actually um, holding the right to the content on a yearly basis. So that then there's also cost of you acquiring users in the first place. And the more users that you acquire, then the more content you need to have, which then becomes a chicken and a heck situation or a virus cycle yes. where you are acquiring more customers okay, they are paying you but then they are asking for more content because they are consuming your yes. content so fast and then you need to be buying a lot of content and then so you need a lot of money so it makes me wonder is this a profitable business? I don't know any profitable company doing streaming service hmm. including not Netflix not Netflix Netflix is not profitable so what's the business model if nobody's making money? Where's the value coming from? <laughs> Who is having the value? How would the investors make their money back if nobody's making money? I, you know, like people want to be involved. I don't know. It's just like people feel like at one point they would figure out how to be profitable. But yeah, most of those companies are not profitable at all. But what about people that are producing their own content? Then oh, yeah, thereby reducing the cost of content. it. Thereby reducing the cost of your own content and then you are streaming it. So you have your own content, or majority of the content on your platform are yours. And Oh yeah, yeah. In that case you don't make money. You don't make money as well. No, I think it's like especially in, in, in Europe in the US, streaming service will add advertising. Because you know, like if you take like biggest uh, TV network in the world, they make 80% of the revenue by with advertising. Yeah. And I'm sure that if you talk about Netflix, some brands would die to have their ads on Netflix. That's true. So I think the model would evolve over time. Not yet. I think, you know, the truth is a subscription to Netflix worth about, depending on the package you have, but let's say about $10 USD, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the real value is around 30. The real the value real that value you get of, as, a, as, a, as a user on Netflix yes. is about $30. Yes. Yes. We produce like premium content, deliver like every week. It's super convenient. It's like, yes, $30, like 30 at least. Mm. That's the real value. That's why we're losing money. So I think that if I want to come up and say like, listen, uh, now the price of Netflix is $30 per month. But if you don't want to pay $30 per month, you will pay $10 per month, but now there's ads, mm. you know, one ad at the beginning, just one ad at the beginning. Right. And then that way they can then monetize. So one of your projections is that this model will evolve over time and there will be changes yeah. because everybody is seeing it just from the subscription angle at the moment. And it's, it's very interesting how market locked itself into a particular idea until somebody becomes 
contrarian and they're right. And then everybody starts thinking, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. But at the moment, the market looks like you start a VOD, it's subscription. And that's the only way you can monetize it. Even though from what you're saying now, there's no way they could profitably monetize that way because it's just going to be expensive to be able to maintain that way. Let's move on to now what you're doing. Seems you closed an AfroStream and you started doing something really interesting. Um, um, Traveling all around Africa, uh, meeting entrepreneurs, training entrepreneurs, inspiring entrepreneurs and getting them involved. And that that sounds cool. Can can, can you talk briefly on that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, What I did is I joined the African Leadership Academy and the Mastercard Foundation to support their initiative called they, Did they Price. approach you uh, after knowing about, oh, you just okay, I'm not doing anything now. I don't want to start another company. On, uh, I no, just... no, they, they approached me. Like so, so what happened is like, even while I was like doing AfroStream, I was speaking at conferences and universities. So I interacted with Fred Swanicker, the CEO of the African Leadership Universities. And he offered me to become the head of entrepreneurship at the African Leadership University. Then, so I did it during five months. It was like seasonal. And after that, the African Leadership Academy in Johannesburg and the Mastercard Foundation approached me to become their chief brand officer. And so Anzisha Prize is the biggest competition for very young entrepreneurs on the continent. And what we do is we give them access to education, network, fundings. We celebrate them uh, during a gala once a year in October. And we travel across the continent to meet very young entrepreneurs and to inspire them, to show them that entrepreneurship is an option. You know that in many families, when you tell your parents you want to become an entrepreneur, people don't really understand. You know, they don't think that it's safe for you to become an entrepreneur. They would prefer you to become, you know, not to work for the government. Mm-hmm. But we need those heroes. We need those new role models that will create job opportunities and also, you know, lead the country. Yeah. And what we learn is that if you invest in very young entrepreneurs, as soon as they, they create jobs, they hire young people. Yes, And I think that there's a real issue with the job opportunities for the youth in Africa. Mm-hmm. And so we have to figure out different types of solutions to solve that issue. And I think investing in very talented and innovative young entrepreneurs on the continent is also a good way to do it. So you go about and then you train them and then you get them to apply for this initial prize. Um, is yeah, that the main so goal the, or the, the other capacity development that goes on? Yes. Yeah, so it's even like simpler than that. What I do is I travel and I talk about entrepreneurship. I'm right now in Madagascar. I spoke at the business school. I meet with young entrepreneurs and I try to, to tell them to, to keep fighting and to start businesses. And then what they have to do is they go online, they go to onzishaprize.org and you know, if you just apply, it's so simple. You don't need to have a, a registered company. You just need to have like a, a project that you actually that you started. And Interesting. so the process is very simple. We just want to double check that your business exists, is mm-hmm. active. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you pass the first election, there's uh, a call. And after this, this uh, phone interview, if you pass the selection, Someone like me will come in your country, in your city, and just visit your business. Interesting. And, do diligence. and if you pass that, then you're invited for boot camp 
in the African Leadership uh, Academy campus in Johannesburg. And then we organize a big gala where we invite uh, investors, media, and during this gala, you can win some money. After this gala, you become Anzi uh, Shafalo, and we have like a, a full support system to help you to organize your company, to raise money, to stay connected with us. Interesting. And how, how many entrepreneurs have you supported so far? Almost 200. That's good. That's From all across the continent. All across the continent. And they become lifelong fellow yes. of this. Yes. That is super interesting. It looks like you've come a lot of full circle, right? You started a storyteller, you built businesses around that, and then you became a producer, then you went into tech and started connecting content and storytelling and technology and building AlphaStream. And it was a difficult business that you went into. Now you're going about telling stories about entrepreneurship all across the yes. continent, inspiring more entrepreneurs and getting, and it's, it's almost similar to what you started with as well, but in a different way. So inspiring more people, getting them all the connections that they need, getting them the funding they need and the support they need to build their own business across the continent. So I'm really, really proud of what you're doing, which is quite great. So And you know, it's a huge opportunity for me because I'm able to travel across the continent you know, better understand, you know, what's happening there, meeting with influencers, investors, entrepreneurs, and this knowledge is, is gold. It's an asset. Mm, mm. So what are we going to see next from Tonje, uh, apart from what you're doing now? Is Tonje going to start another business in Africa? Yeah, of course. You know, like, again, I would create something that is needed uh, on the continent. I'm playing with ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, right now I'm experimenting I'm not yet ready to talk about it but uh, but are you locking like, your mind to a particular idea or you're still trying to get more no, no, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have a clear idea just keep in mind that entrepreneurship for me is like water I need to create I'm a creator I, so there's no way I will sit on my chair and wait I have to create I have to solve issues I have to create value so hopefully in a few months I'll be able to, to come back with something that people will be excited about. That's great. I'm looking forward to that, actually. Maybe by the time this podcast is out, and uh, it will be live by then. And because a lot of people are waiting for you, actually, actually uh, me included, because your story is amazing and you, you've got a fantastic mindset and, and view about, about the future of Africa. So let me just end by asking you uh, some fire and questions that I normally ask my guests uh, when they come to this show. Okay, so the first question is, what is your biggest business pain point at the moment that you're facing in, in, in what you're doing now? Understanding if my solution so is solving uh, a problem that people are willing to pay. Okay. And what is your number one growth metric? Revenue. Revenue. But you're working for a foundation now. So is there revenue stuff there or you're looking at your other business that you've so, done before? So, no, like the metric that I, like when you talk about impact, yeah. I'm looking like how much revenue the entrepreneur I support, how right. much they make. Okay, yeah. So that's the number one growth metric that you look for then. Which book yeah. are you reading at the moment? Unfortunately, none. But uh, if you have one, just please uh, send me a recommendation. Actually, send you recommendations. Oh, I've got. Um, I'm actually reading two now. There's one that I would recommend. It's called The Alliance uh, by Reid Hoffman. Oh, okay. And it's called The Alliance, uh, Managing Talent in the Network Age. It's a fantastic book. And the whole thesis is about how to how to align the mission of the company with the vision of the talent that you're hiring. That uh, in the past, 
hiring has been based on people assuming that employees will work for you for a long time and everybody knows that that's not going to happen and so employees and employers are a bit um they're not honest with each other and because employers can just sack employees employees can leave employers but if you're honest with each other yeah. say okay what is your own goal in the next one year or, or thereabout and how can you fulfill your goal in the company help to move the company forward so they propose some ideas around tall duty where each employee says, okay, this my, my top duty is to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm working a company. And everybody knows that, okay, if you finish that talk, you might actually leave the company if you want to, or you might go on to do something else. But actually just managing, especially the millennials who don't want to stay in a company for too long. So I recommend that book. Fantastic book. The other one I'll recommend is Rework. Rework. I don't know if you know this guy called um, Jason Fred. Jason Fred is the founder of 37 Signals and they have a different view of how business should be run because they they build their business without raising money and it's a very good startup. They build a product called Basecamp, which is a product management tool. And so they have a different view of stuff. So it's a book called Rework. It's a very easy read. It reads like a blog. So each chapter is like maybe less than a thousand words and it's like a blog. So I recommend those two books. So when you're on your plane, you can just get Alliance or Rework work nice great so uh which business is getting you excited at the moment sports betting sport betting <laughs> that's interesting and why uh because i'm investing in the company you invested in a company and and you can you are seeing the result of it uh i just think that it's a in a very interesting field uh, especially in africa uh, it's interesting. I had um, one of the top sport betting entrepreneur on the show in the last season, Akin Alabi from Nigeria, and he was able to talk about his story and how he started. And he's a super interesting uh, guy. And I think the business is interesting as well. Yeah. And he's doing well. Yeah, he's doing well. <laughs> yeah, he's doing well for himself. <laughs> he's really doing well. Um, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, I think a lot of people get to know you more now. Thank you for delving more into your backstory, which I think uh, one couldn't get a base scope of that before uh, by just reading about you on the internet. So you're able to talk about it. You're able to talk about the future and what you're doing now and also a lot of insight into VOD business. So thanks a lot for coming to this show, Tunje. Thank you for the opportunity. It was good for me to be able to talk freely and with confidence about my journey. And please follow me on social media. Yes. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Do not hesitate to reach out uh, to me. And thank you. Thank you again for this opportunity. It was great. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks a lot. Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future. And you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T H E 
S-T-A-R-T-A.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks. Thanks.